Every day, the young player stayed after school in the shop baskets. After trying out for two years, he had finally made the team, and he was determined to prove to his coach, teammates, and school that they had not made a mistake. He wanted to show that he was worthy to be on the team. On the day of the first game, he got to the gym an hour early and he practiced. Well, all too soon, the team and the coach arrived and the stands began to fill. In the locker room, there were high fives and laughter. He put on a brave face, but his sweaty palms told the true story. Well, surprisingly, once the game began, his nervousness left him. With his first basket, a new confidence emerged and the skills he had worked so hard to develop, pushed doubt out the door. By the end of the third quarter, he had scored 20 points. Some of the kids were beginning to chant his name when he got the ball, but the score was tight as his team headed into the fourth quarter. With only six seconds left, they were behind by one point. The ball came to him. He quickly dribbled up the court, planted his feet, let loose a shot, but something went wrong. And the ball hit the edge of the rim and bounced away and the buzzer sounded and they had lost. He sat alone in his locker room, avoiding his friends, his family, and anyone who would see the look of loss in his eyes. Guilt weighed heavy on his young heart. It wasn't until his coach found him that it began to lift. The coach told him that he was proud that he had stepped up to take the last shot, and there was no accusation in his voice. You know we have the same promise from God. Although we have failed and fallen short of his standard, he says to us, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Thank you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 to 6. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity the iniquity of us all. <clears throat> what does this passage say about our condition before God came into our lives? Doesn't paint a very pretty picture, does it? Our true character was that we were lawbreakers. We were diseased by sin. We were weak. We, like sheep, had gone astray and couldn't find our way back to the fold. We put our own will up against God's will. Isn't that the way it is in this world today? What we want? We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. It's what we want. We spend a lot of time on our phones. Not everybody. But as you go around, you see people, they're looking at their phone or they're taking pictures, selfies, or whatever. It's what we want to do. We aren't interested in what God wants us to do. It seems we're living just for ourselves. What did Christ do to remove these conditions from us? For us. He endured false accusations and trials. 
For us, he was beaten and bruised. For us, he was cursed by people's tongues. He had lies told about him. He was scourged or whipped. And not under the mercy of the Jewish law. At that time, the Jewish law would allow no more than 40 lashes or stripes to be put on a man, no matter how bad the offense was. The centurion in this case would have been one because it was done under Romans law. And the centurion would decide when to stop. Now, they didn't just use a whip. And I say just a whip. I mean, if somebody takes a whip to my back, it isn't going to be just a whip. It's going to be terrible as far as I'm concerned. But they used a Roman flagrum, which was made of two or three leather straps tied to a handle. And in that, those straps, every so often down the strap were pieces of metal, either zinc or iron, that were in there. And when they whipped you with that, it tore your skin clear off your back. And then that's what they used on Jesus. Though through all that, Christ never spoke up in his own defense. Through all this that he went through, the lies, the trials, the people accusing him, he never spoke up again for himself. Worse than that, all of our transgressions, all of our sins were put upon him by God. I mean, that, that was worse. Just like the preacher said this morning, that's what killed him. That's what took his life. That's why he died. It wasn't because of all the other stuff. It was because of the sins of the world and of us that God put upon him. They were the thorns on his head, the nails in his hands and feet, and the spear in his side, the real cause of his death. Romans 3, 21 through 26 <clears throat> says, But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and come, fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies the man who has faith in Jesus. In the 23rd verse there it said, all have sinned. That takes in everybody from Adam and Eve all the way down to us today. God never promised, compromised his standard when it came to punishing sin. There's no difference in sin today than it was 4,000 years ago when Abraham was there. The punishment is the same for all who don't believe in Christ Jesus. Sin is sin is sin is sin. And we talked about that this morning in class too, that 
all sin's the same to God. If it's sin, it's sin. It doesn't matter if you murder somebody or you lie to somebody. God looks at it the same way. We don't tend to do that, but God is a faith, faithful and just God, and he looks at it that we're all the same and everything we sin, any sin we commit, is equal to the other sins. Death, eternal, separated from God. That was the punishment for unforgiven sin 4,000 years ago, and it still is today. Because of Jesus' righteousness, all sin, past, present, and future, is covered by the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus. That goes back to that first scripture. Second Corinthians five eighteen through 21. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin, for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What's reconciliation? What's that mean? Make it right. Reconciliation comes after a quarrel or a fight, hopefully. It should. Uh, a disagreement, a break in friendship, breach in friendship. Reconciliation is restoration of that friendship, reuniting or bringing back together the parties involved. Sometimes in our families, hopefully nobody in here has that problem, but sometimes in families, there's a breach of fellowship in the family and somebody gets angry at someone else and they won't have anything to do with them. And I've seen that in our, not our immediate family, but in some of our family members where for years they held a grudge about something Stupid, really. Generally, it's something stupid that happened. And for years, they wouldn't speak to each other. And then getting closer to the, when they got older and closer to the time that they might be passing on, they began to think back all the time they had lost. And they finally reconciled. But that doesn't always happen. You know, but that's what God wants us to do, but we aren't supposed to wait that long. Don't wait till you know it's too late because it can become too late. If someone passes away that you have a problem with or have been separated from, you don't have that chance to go back and make that reconciliation, not like Jesus did for us. God reconciled himself with us by Jesus. Everything was done by God. We didn't do any of it. We're not 
worthy to do it in the first place. But God does it. We just are the vessels through which he does sometimes. There's nothing we can physically do to earn his reconciliation. You know, we can do all we want to do, but it's not going to work until we accept Christ as our Savior. After we accept his plan of reconciliation, then it becomes our part, as it said in that scripture, to share the good news with others. That is the work that God has for us. That's what he told us to do, to go out into the world and spread the gospel, to make disciples. And that's our job. That's the part that he has for us. How many people do you know who have died and you couldn't say for sure if they knew Jesus Christ as their Savior? What was their punishment if they didn't? Whose fault is it when our friends, our neighbors, and our family perish without Christ? It's not God's fault. Is it their fault? Or is it our fault that we didn't say something to them? Plant the seed and let God do the work. God is not guilty because someone doesn't make it to heaven, because he's offered it to everyone. He didn't condemn anyone to, the, to hell. We all get to make that decision on our own. Are we going to serve, or are we going to live the way of the world? And at the end, we will pay the price, or we will go to heaven. We'll pay the price of hell, or we'll pay the price, or I'm called paying a price, we'll gain the prize in heaven. First Peter chapter 2, 21 through 25. In my book it said Second Peter. And I thought there aren't even 25 verses in Second Peter. There must be something wrong with this. First Peter 2, 21 to 25. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus set the example for us to follow. He was without sin and no lies ever came out of his mouth. Unfortunately, we can't say the same thing. He turned the other cheek. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't, just depending. Uh, he entrusted himself to his father, as we are supposed to do. Our lives should change when we accept the sacrifice of the cross. We cannot be perfect. 
like Jesus was, that we can strive for perfection because someday we will be. We'll have a new perfect body if we're living for Christ. And when we go to heaven, then we will be perfect. We can always be truthful. We don't have to tell lies. We can return abuse and malice with love and not threats of violence. Somebody says something to you that you don't like, do you return with something they don't like? Or do you bite your tongue and keep your mouth shut and tell them you love them? There should be a change in our attitudes when we accept Christ. Do you tend to anger and respond in kind? Christ can take that from us. He can clean our mouths. Thank the Lord for that. We are still human and we can falter. But if we recognize it and ask for forgiveness, it'll put us back in the fold. How many of you have ever been to New York City? I see half a dozen hands. So did you see the Statue of Liberty? Did you see the big building, Empire State Building? Go to Central Park? Did you see the National Debt Clock? What's that? You didn't see that. There is one in New York City. And it is running. It's about 25 feet wide, weighs 1,500 pounds, has 306 lights in it that count the numbers. And it runs endlessly, declaring the national debt of the United States and it also shows each person and each family's debt. We talked in Sunday school last week about the slave who owed his master 10,000 talents. He was going to be sold along with his wife and his family to repay that debt. And he begged for mercy and said if the master would give him time, he would pay it back. Of course, that goes on into him and another one, but I don't want to go to that. But at that rate, uh, the, at the wages they earned for a day's work at that time. And if he paid it back with no interest, 10,000 talents, it would take him 220 years if he paid every penny he earned every day. We discovered that that was equal to about $3 million in our time. If you could pay $18,181 a year out of your salary, you could pay it back in 220 years. So if you could afford 36,000, you could cut that to 110. But are we gonna live that long? Can we pay that debt back? That man couldn't any more than pay that debt than fly and we couldn't either we can't pay that debt why am i talking about debts of money andrew's got something he wants to show us if he zooms in on this you'll 
see this is the national debt clock. That top figure is the national debt. Now that's not quite up to date, but see how fast it's running. The figure to the right is the debt per citizen, $67,999, and $182,125 per taxpayer. Now that will keep changing too, slowly. But the other numbers wasn't the one I was really thinking about, it was that one up there that top number, it will have changed to a million here and just there it went already. Another million has been added on. That's how fast our country is gaining debt. It earns 45,000 some dollars a second is what's changing up there. That's how fast we're getting into debt and into debt. What if heaven had one of these? What if heaven has a debt clock on each one of us? A marquee that measured not our physical debts or our fiscal debts, but our spiritual debts. Scripture, scripture often refers to sin in financial terminology. In Matthew six twelve, Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts. So if sin is a debt, do we each have a counter in heaven? Does it click away with each infraction we do? If we lie, click. If we gossip, click. If we demand our way, click. If we doze off while reading the Bible, click, click. Yeah, I get more clicks on that one. If there is one of these, then even Abraham 4,000 years ago had one because sin has never changed. And Abraham, I'm sure Abraham was a good man, but Abraham was born into sin just like we are. And he didn't always do everything perfect. He had no credit card debt because they didn't have credit cards back then. But he had a spiritual debt. He had sinned, but he wasn't good enough to live debt-free. Maybe he cursed his camel. Click. Maybe he flirted with one of his handmaidens, or his wife's handmaidens. Click. Maybe he wondered where God was leading him as they traveled, click. Maybe wonder if God even knew where he was going. Click, click, click. For all the bad things he did, there was one good thing that Abraham did. He believed and he put his faith in God. Because he did, a wonderful thing happened to him. His debt clock went back to zero. Scripture said that Abraham believed God and it was credited to, credited to him as righteousness. In spiritual death, there are two ways that we tend to respond. We try to earn our way to heaven 
We do better, do more, attend church more, visit the sick, volunteer for projects. Sometimes we might even fast. Sometimes that would be good for us. Still inside may be the fear. What if after doing all these things, I've still not done enough? According to the national debt clock, we owe more than we could ever repay, and it grows at $45,486 a second. According to heaven's debt clock, we owe more than we could ever repay. It is no different in that. Every day brings more sin and more debt, and questions like, who will deliver me? The realization of our moral debts sends some people into good works mode. Others respond not with doing anything, but unbelief. They give up. They walk away. They feel no God could demand so much from them. They can't please him. You can't please him or satisfy him. He must not be real. And if he is real, he's really not worth knowing. That's the way they begin to feel. The legist, that's the legalist and the atheist. Are these the only options? The tr sad truth of our state as members of the human race is we owe a greater debt than we can ever repay. Every sin we commit moves us further into the red on the balance sheet of heaven and further from Jesus' command to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's Matthew 5.48. Heaven is a perfect place for perfect peop people, which leaves us in a perfect mess. What is the solution to this problem? Adding more good works won't help to tip the balance sheets. Nor will pretending it doesn't exist and giving in to unbelief. Legalism only leads to weariness. Atheism only leads to loneliness. No, the only answer is the one the apostle came to realize when the risen Jesus met him on the road in the desert. Paul came to understand that all, capital A-L-L, -L, that takes in everybody, all have fallen short of God's standard. So the only solution was to put his faith in the one who had never fallen short of the standard. He put his life into the hands of the very same Jesus who met him on the road. His pastor said, grace came to him. He didn't find grace, grace found him. He trusted in the one who had given up his own life to pay the penalty for all of humanity's sin. When we do the same and accept God's grace, our debt clock goes to zero. Our debts are wiped clean. Romans 8, 1 said, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we will not be condemned once we accept Christ and our debt clock goes to zero. That goes to the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more, all those sins. Would We could do that same thing for our family and our friends. Forget. We don't quite forget but we can put it so far back that it's hard to bring it out. But we can forgive just as Christ and God forgave us. Thank you.
Amen. It's because of the mercy of God that our debt can be wiped free. Amen. Let's stand for dismissal. I want to remind you that uh, for the members, you were able to vote uh, you know, right after the service. Uh, you're able to, uh, you know, to go over to the table right over here and cast your ballots. Uh, you can do that. Also, um, Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday, we have an interesting and a, a unique opportunity.